Good morning. It's Tuesday, the 25th of July, and I'm Govindraj Ethiraj coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital. Our top stories and themes: after food, inflation bites affordable housing as segment sales crash in the last six months. India bans rice exports, affecting Indians overseas with no real benefit to locals so far. Could the solution be to increase export duties further? Tesla is to start negotiations with the Indian government to manufacture a 20 lakh rupee car. And almost 50 years after launching a hotel arm, cigarette maker ITC says it will separate its hotel arm into a new company, ITC Hotels. This is a core report with Govindraj Ethiraj. Inflation now bites homes. Sales of affordable housing have fallen to 20% of total housing sales in the first 6 months of this year or around 46,000 units in the top 7 cities. The same figure for last year was about 31%. Total number of units sold in the last 6 months were about 228,000 so the base is rising as well. There are two reasons attributed for this fall. The first is that homeowners are buying either higher priced and even more luxury homes including bigger homes, a trend we have discussed here in the core report last month. Some of this is a pandemic fallout. Second, prices are going up as all other input costs including land prices go up. Bottom line, inflation is biting here too and it's not just food. The outlook is not looking very bright either unless there are more sobs or a shift to other models like rentals or project housing as it's called in some other countries. To understand what was happening in the affordable housing segment and what the current environment was reflecting on the state of the larger housing market and consumer preferences or buying propensity, I reached out to Anuj Puri, chairman of Anarok Group, whose research arm put out this data. I began by asking him to describe the affordable housing market, particularly in the context of its somewhat recent history. So the way affordable housing has uh, come down as a percentage of the total sales is uh, from pre-COVID level, which was at forty percent. It's come down in the first half of this calendar year, twenty twenty-three, to twenty percent. If you were to compare it to the last year, first half, it was thirty-one percent, and it's come down to twenty percent. But if you were to compare it to the pre-COVID, twenty nineteen. level at that time affordable housing was 40% so really it has been coming down as a percentage of the overall sales but please bear it in mind the sale volume has also increased so not necessarily that the number of units has come down for affordable housing on sales it's the percentage that has come down which means really that the mid end high end luxury and ultra luxury are doing far better as a result of which it has dented the affordable housing segment as a percentage and just to recap uh, two questions there how do we define affordable housing and second has the price point or the price band in which most affordable housing sales happen is that roughly been the same in recent years yes uh, i think these both are very important points that you highlight uh, the way we define affordable housing is as per the norms defined by the government So, if it's in a tier one city, its uh, area is defined as thirty square meters, uh, which is roughly three hundred square feet. And if it's in a tier two, it's sixty uh, square meters, so nearly six hundred square feet. I think two things have happened is why this percentage has come down. One, post COVID, preference 
of the buyers is a little bit larger area. As a result of it, it's reaching the definition of affordable housing. And second is that it is crossing the price band in which we define it as affordable housing. And the reason for the price band getting breached is not only just rising land prices or construction costs, it's also to do with the increased interest rates. As a result of which, both things are getting breached. One, preference of the buyer to buy a bit bigger than you know, 30 or 60 square meters. And the second is that the price band getting breached because of high land prices, increased construction costs, as well as increased interest rates. Anush, can you tell us how you're seeing this evolve? Now, if inflation is obviously raising prices of everything, including raw materials and uh, land, which you've pointed out already, where does this take the whole affordable housing segment in the next year or two? I think, Gobind, what will need to be done is to have a relook at the definition of affordable housing. Uh, and said is, you know, the preference of the buyer has now moved to a little larger size apartments, you know, given what we had seen in COVID. So my, my thought is that the definition really needs to be relooked to be able to increase the size of the apartment uh, in the definition of affordable and equally on the pricing as well to be able to bring it up to the levels which will have incorporated the inflation on the land and the construction and the increased interest rates so that uh, you know it does reflect correctly uh, the affordable housing uh, you know as a segment i do feel is that today the definition which is there from the government of india is becoming a bit dated uh, because the preferences and the price points both have increased considerably over the last 4 5 years yeah, last question, uh, Anuj. So, you know, obviously there is some, uh, let's say, benefit from a tax point of view for the affordable housing segment. What do you feel we need to do in order to bring back some demand in this space? So the demand remains uh, very vibrant on uh, affordable housing. I think there needs to be three or four things that we need to really do to be able to cater to this demand. One is uh, that the CNSS, you know, which was the subsidy, uh, that was being uh, given by the central government to the home buyer of affordable housing was withdrawn uh, some time ago. I think in some form, that subsidy needs to be reloaded and brought in back. The second is that uh, on the uh, stand duty, many of the state governments have given subsidy to affordable housing, and I think that should become really, you know, across the board, across all states, uh, to have a lower stamp duty for affordable housing. Third, uh, I do feel is that uh, there should be a policy that we should look at bringing in homes for leasing, for rentals, housing for rental. You know, globally, this is a big part in uh, the US and Europe where on the affordable housing, it's not necessarily for sale. You know, they bring in these uh, houses for leasing. And to be able to give it to people, you know, who belong to a certain economic strata, to be able to use those homes for renting. And I do feel is that there needs to be a policy that we should look at bringing in on that to be able to provide housing to a lot of people who are not necessarily uh, going to be able to buy, but may well be able to rent uh, that out. Right, Anuj, uh, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Govind.
Interestingly, among the sales that did happen, Mumbai metropolitan region and Pune saw the maximum sales with a 37% share and 21% share respectively. The Delhi national capital region followed at 19%. All figures refer to the top seven cities. And India bans rice exports, triggering alarms among Indians world over. Unfortunately, it's always viral videos which draw attention to the magnitude of a problem. In this case, a sudden ban on rice exports from India in an effort to fight food inflation, which rose last month to 4.8%, which is the larger retail inflation figure. Within that, inflation in cereals, which included rice and wheat, touched almost 13%, driven more by rice. Inflation in pulses, which include various types of urad and turdals, too has been rising steadily. All these are staple foods in Indian homes like rice. And the prices of all of this, which is the kitchen budget, has been going up. India now produces roughly 130 million tons of rice, of which around 20 million tons have been exported every year in recent years. At this level, India contributes to almost 45% of the global rice trade and is thus an important price stabilizer. The present ban is on non-Basmati rice exports. So there is a little catch there which we will come to. In general, prices of rice and paddy follow the minimum support price or MSP set by the Government of India last set in the first week of June or last month. The MSP, just to fill you in, is a safety net for farmers and also helps ensure food security and stabilizes market price of staples. The government uses the MSP to also encourage farmers to cultivate certain crops. Now, the question, of course, is whether the ban can keep prices down or bring them down further for domestic consumers and thus rein in food inflation. Equally, what will it do for farmers whose producers exported and, of course, consumers elsewhere? Now, we would not really think of all consumers of rice all over the world, but given our demonstrated proximity to our diaspora and their interests, I'm assuming that videos of Indians climbing shelves to pull down bags of rice in the United States would cause us some concern, if not embarrassment. Interestingly, the government raised export duties in September last year to 20% and earned, from what I could understand, almost a billion dollars. And despite that, there was no slowdown in exports. I reached out to B.V. Krishna Rao, President of the Rice Exporters Association and Managing Director of Patabi Agro based in Kakinada, Andhra Pradesh. Rao's own company, Patabi Agro, is one of the largest rice exporters in India. I began by asking him to describe the rice production and distribution landscape and also what the way forward could be, particularly for those of our brethren looking for rice on shelves of stores in the United States. India produces around 130 million tons of rice out of which India has been exporting around 20-22 million tons for the last 2-3 to three years. So we occupy around 45% of the global trade of rice. Since COVID, Indian exports have stabilized and reached to almost the nook and corner of the world. So the major competitors for India comes from Thailand, Vietnam, Pakistan and US, who all together work don't add up to India's volume. So India is an important player and the global rice uh, prices depend on India's mood uh, and movements. So as you might be aware, India has been exporting such a big volume which resulted in price stabilization across the world. Always Thai and Viet prices are over and above Indian prices, but they do not have that quantity to support the entire world requirement. So India being a responsible player 
we have been instrumental in keeping inflation low across the globe during COVID and post-COVID, the Ukraine war and all. All prices have kept the world inflation at a bottom level. So the impact of this, yes, uh, the government have seen this uh, impact of higher exports mean higher inflation in, in India. But the basic problem is not about rice. Right? The problem is about wheat. Because uh, the wheat uh, stocks are low and the situation is close to where in India has to import some wheat at 0% duty to keep Indian inflation lower. So rice uh, having been exported, government felt that uh, is there a way to curtail some quantity, maybe some uh, restriction. So they have come up with duty on rice export last September at around 20% product cost. So what has happened since the duty has been imposed, there was lowering the export for a couple of weeks. After that, again, the prices have moved up. Because as you may have to recall, that uh, there is no country in the world which can replace 20 million tons or 18 million tons if India is out of the market. So whatever the prices we dictate, whatever the terms we dictate will prevail. So in spite of the duty, the volumes have not gone down. So government felt eh, that uh, I think uh, to keep the festival season around, uh, they felt that maybe the better way to do is uh, prohibit the cargo from being exported. So the prohibition, eh, September 8th of last year, the tokens have been prohibited eh, because of the requirement of the coastal industry and the ethanol manufacturers. Eh, that was the first step of prohibition. And then on the same day, they made 20% duty for white rice, anticipating some drop in white rice export. But that did not happen. So 20th of July this year, they have made a amendment to foreign trade policy where white rice export have been restricted. Okay. So now in terms of prices and in terms of what commercial exporters will face, how do you see that playing out? See, as exporters... We definitely feel a, a painful when someone else's business is affected. But keeping the country's requirement, we can definitely support and take the pain for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. The new crop is around the corner in early October. And the rains, as you might have seen, the rains are spread across India and the plantations rise is plus 3% ending last week. We expect this year's production to be more than 15 to 20% of last year's production because UP and Bihar also had very good rain. So we feel that there will be no shortage of rice because the government stocks are good. The prices, yes, have improved, increased by 10 to 15%. That is what Bihar on account of increasing MSP, which is coming into effect in the next year. So these prices are more in relation to the hike in MSP. And usually every year between June to November, there is always a price increase because there's no new crop coming until October early. So we feel that this is a normal increase. It is not a increase which is creating any sort of a panic. So in spite of government taking a decision, we felt definitely we like to be part of their decision-making process, but government felt that inflation and... Yeah, so, yes. you know, so serial inflation, yeah. which includes ice, was about 12% in the last inflation uh, uh, of uh, 4.8% last year. I mean, sorry, last month. So it's rising. Now, when 
exports are banned, the logical conclusion would be that you have another 18-20 million tons, not at one go, but let's say divided by three or four at this point in the country. So wouldn't shouldn't that bring down prices and isn't that what the government wants? Yeah, and, and definitely as the government feels, and uh, it's also, we also are aware that once there is a, a restriction or provision of export, definitely that particular quantum of rice will stay in India. So that will allow prices to soften a little bit. But India's production is such huge, maybe this temporary spikes sometimes also helps the farmers to grow more. But sometimes they should be also allowed to make more money than just MSP. If you give them opportunity to make more money in times of a lean season, I think it's also helpful. But yes, the government decision is also, we agree with the government's uh, contention that uh, prices have moved up a little bit. But uh, we are there to support them and uh, we would uh, definitely request uh, them to reconsider it uh, with a higher duty rather than totally banning the export. And uh, could you just give me like, for example, in a kilo of rice today, what could it be in India at this point? What could have been your export price? And what could it have been, let's say, landed in America where people are rushing to stores to buy it? Even among the non-Basmati rice, there are three separate groups wherein the broken, as you know, it is part of the rice which has been prohibited since last year. And government from time to time are allowing some exports based on certain requirements from different governments. And when it comes to white rice, which is uh, more consumed in India, that particular variety of rice has been restricted. And palm oil, because there's no consumption in India, it has been allowed to freely export. And there is another segment, which is called premium non-Baspati rice, which the Indian experts in US and uh, Europe, Australia consume. Those prices are at 60 to 70 rupees a kilo. Unlike uh, the PDS rice, uh, which uh, goes to Africa, which is at 30 or 32 rupees. So many Indian experts staying across the world, they are affected because the premium non-Basmati rice, which is called Sona Masuri, has also come under the ban because they do not have a separate HSM port. So it has also been banned. So their volume of export is limited because they goes by containers. And it goes to the Indian experts in different different parts of the world. Definitely, we like to request government to permit this half a million ton, which goes to the Indian public in the other parts of the world, so that they do not face because they're used to, unlike wheat, rice is a product where there's a eating preferences. So we should make this available for the Indians across the globe rather than. Prohibiting it, it can be exported at a slightly higher duty and keeping the domestic market in check. Last question. So you believe that the extra stock that is going to stay back in the country now, at least for this foreseeable uh, future, will be consumed in India. That's one. Second is, uh, are you expecting the government or uh, hoping that this ban will be lifted in some form or, as you said, shifted to a higher export duty rather than a full ban? That makes more common sense because the government of India has made close to a billion dollars on duty income when they are restricted, when they put duty on white rice. Because world over, yes, it's a sensitive product. Definitely, rather than 
totally removing it out of the shelves of the different countries. It is better to price it slightly higher because India will continue to produce this 30% higher than its requirement. So India needs to not lose this international clientele. You can always play with the duty as and when you feel there's more exports happening. You can put some higher slab of duty and prevent it from going out the way Russia does for its wheat. Just to keep Indian their inflation in check and uh, whatever goes out uh, is also measured uh, based on the duty that comes as I come to the call. Uh, right, uh, Mr. Krishna Rao, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Tesla is readying for an Indian debut with a 20 lakh rupee car. In an earlier episode of The Core, I had expressed some skepticism about Tesla coming in with a car that would mostly land around 70 lakh rupees given its pricing elsewhere and India's own duty structures. News agency Reuters is now reporting that Tesla representatives are set to meet India's Commerce Minister this month to discuss plans to build a factory to produce what the company has described as an all-new $24,000 car which would put it just under 20 lakh rupees. The cars would be produced for both the local market and export. My own understanding is that this was the proposition, a lower-cost car, that was discussed in the meeting between Prime Minister Modi and Elon Musk in New York last month. Musk came out of that meeting saying he was a fan of Modi and would come to India as soon as he humanly could. I also argued earlier that many of the other car manufacturers were beefing up their electric car offerings from the Koreans, Europeans and now even Japanese, though more hybrid and that Tesla was not necessarily at an advantage in a price-conscious market like India. In case you didn't know, the world's largest electric car maker is not Tesla, but BYD of China, whose cars are also available in India, but not marketed very aggressively, I think. Anyway, at 20 lakh rupees, the contours of the battle for EV or electric vehicle supremacy will obviously change, though even then, a 20 lakh rupee car at factory gate will be much higher when it comes on road and halfway to the 30 lakh rupee, if not more, mark. At that price, it is not a small car for sure, and surely not competing in the 15 lakh rupee range right now, where most of the volumes will lie, at least as the market again right now is structured. In China, Tesla's cheapest car, the Model 3 sedan, sells for an equivalent of over $32,000 or around 26 lakh rupees. But at this point, we don't know how prices will evolve and there is some ground to be covered before the investment comes in on ground and the plant is set up and manufacturing begins. Significantly, we also don't know whether and what kind of subsidies will be offered and how that could change the price. Remember, in semiconductors, we are offering over 50% subsidies. Though, if a Tesla has to be given a subsidy, many other electric car manufacturers, including those in India, could also demand it, assuming they also begin similar local manufacture. The car has to be indigenously produced. An auto journalist with whom I have been staying in touch with on this issue told me that despite there being many other players, the Tesla badge was powerful and aspirational, somewhat like the iPhone League, to use a mobile phone analogy, and would surely shake up the market when it arrived. After almost 50 years, ITC Hotels demerges. ITC, the cigarettes-to-consumer products-to-hotels company and much-hated and loved stock in the Indian market, has announced it was spinning off its hotel arm. Finally, the hotel's arm was launched in 1975. The clamour for this spin-off has been there for some years and gathering steam, but many reasons could have delayed it. 
But to put the hotel's business in context, ITC clocked gross revenue for the year ended 22-23, that's last year, at around 69,000 crore, up about 18% from the previous year. Profit after tax was up about 24% at 18,753 crores. Now, the hotel's division is small, though highly visible. It has a revenue of about 2,700 crores. There are 120 properties, roughly, and about 11,500 rooms. Last year, the hotel's business only comprised 4% of ITC's total revenue and 2% of earnings before interest and tax. But in the listed space, ITC is the second largest hotel chain in India after Indian hotels. As timing goes, this is a good one because the hospitality industry is doing very well. Almost all resort hotels in the country are at near full occupancy at very high rates almost through the year now. City hotels are holding at higher levels. Now, whether all of this is still a post-pandemic boost or a new normal is not clear, at least to me, but business travel has definitely returned. Global chains like Marriott, the largest in the world, are expanding aggressively in India too, with stated plans of 250 hotels in two years' time from around 140 now. Marriott at this level is already bigger than ITC in India. So hospitality stocks too are doing well, including of companies like Indian Hotels, which owns Taj. ITC said its board accorded its in-principle approval to the demerger of the hotel's business with a scheme of arrangement that would see the company holding a stake of about 40% in the new entity and the balance about 60% to be held by the company's shareholders proportionate to their shareholding in the company. Interestingly, ITC's shares fell over 4% to 468 on the Bombay Stock Exchange as investors felt that ITC had kept a higher stake of 40% with itself in the new subsidiary. The demerger would be placed for board approval on the 14th of August. Now, not to forget the Indian markets as a whole where the main indices were down for the second day in sequence, this time driven by, well, ITC and Reliance Industries, both heavyweights on the indices. Reliance, you may recall, posted a lower than expected net profit number in the latest quarter and something we discussed yesterday. And in a day of much swings, the BSE sends closed with a loss of almost 299 points at 66,385 and the Nifty 50 ended 73 points lower at 19,072. We also spoke of how banks were turning in very strong results in the last quarter and despite a weak market, ICICI Bank's stocks hit a fresh 52-week high of around 1,008. Leading brokerages have put buy calls on ICICI Bank which reported a 40% increase in net profits in the last quarter. Elsewhere, in a move that is usually seen as a signal for how interest rates are being set, the Employees Provident Fund Organization, or EPFO, has declared an interest rate of 8.15% for EPF accounts, or Employees Provident Fund accounts, for the financial year 22-23. In 21-22, the government had notified an interest rate of 8.10% or 8.10%, which was down from 8.50% in the previous year. And before I go... Elon Musk has replaced the word and the name of the company Twitter with X. There is much to what X will be and it could be and so on. Hint, like the WeChat of China. But that can wait for another day. Meanwhile, do find us on X and we can surely X each other. And I do look forward to your comments and feedback on X. That's it for me now. I hope you have a great day ahead. Like I said before, do send us your feedback and we would love to hear from you, including suggestions, which I will carry here. Have a great day. This was the core report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at the core. 
you can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in. That is www.thecore.in or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you, including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback at the core.in. Thank you for listening.